Hello and welcome to the GTR News Brief. It's Wednesday, September 9th, and here are a few of the top stories from the world of trade and trade finance this week. HSBC says there are optimistic prospects for a V-shaped post-pandemic recovery in Asia after trade transaction volumes in the region reverted to 2019 levels over the past couple of months. Proprietary data from the Global Trade Bank, seen by GTR, shows a sharp uptick in demand for core trade products, such as import documentary credits and export bills, with growth seen across the major markets of Hong Kong, China, Singapore and Malaysia. However, while transaction volumes have reverted to 2019 levels, order sizes haven't, suggesting that the current volatile economic backdrop continues to weigh on buying decisions. A new trade finance fund has been rolled out to help the Lebanese manufacturing sector as the country's economy falters in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as a fatal explosion in the capital last month. The Seda Oxygen Impact Fund will provide manufacturers in Lebanon with access to short-term trade and supply chain finance products. This includes import, export and receivables finance, which will be available to both exporters and importers. According to a new report from global risk analytics and advisory firm Veris Maplecroft, COVID-19 has increased modern slavery risks across key manufacturing markets in Asia. The Modern Slavery Index finds that Bangladesh, China, Myanmar, India, Cambodia, Vietnam and Indonesia have fallen to their lowest point in the ranking since 2017. The index measures the risk to business of the possible association with slavery, trafficking in persons and forced labour in supply chains, operations and service providers. With demand for goods collapsing in the wake of the pandemic, more workers have been pushed into the informal economy, where economic activity is not subject to government regulation or taxation and labour protections are minimal, resulting in the increased risk of modern slavery. Now we take a closer look at a recent development in the Singapore commodity finance sector, which has been rocked by a series of scandals this year. Bank de Commerce, a Deplacement, or BCP, is alleging that it has been the victim of fraud after providing millions in financing for a transaction in January. The Singapore branch of jet fuel trader China Aviation Oil, or CAO, is resisting the bank's claims of fraud around a $19 million sale to scandal-hit Zenrock. And this has also given rise to legal questions over who should absorb the cost of third-party fraud. Earlier, I spoke to senior reporter John Basquill to find out more. Sure. Um, So what we're talking about here is a relatively straightforward transaction which took place early this year, so towards the end of January. Um, and based on court documents that came to light this summer. Um, So one fuel trading company, China Aviation Oil in Singapore, uh, was purchasing around 260,000 barrels of gas oil from Zenrock, uh, another Singapore oil trader, um, for a price of around 19 million US dollars. Um, This was actually a a back-to-back transaction, so Zenrock would purchase that cargo, then immediately sell it on to another company, uh, a third party. Uh, But that leg of the transaction isn't 
relevant to the claims of fraud here. Uh, and in fact, we don't know from these documents who that third party even was. Um, so for the first leg of the transaction, the the, the bank involved, BCP, uh, which is a Swiss bank, but in this case, we're actually talking about the uh, Dubai branch. Uh, BCP issued a letter of credit to China Aviation to support that sale. A little later on, China Aviation presented BCP with the uh, the sales invoice for that transaction, along with a letter of indemnity, and BCP transferred over 19 million US dollars. Um, the issue now is BCP is alleging aspects of that transaction have since turned out to be fraudulent. So John, where does BCP allege the fraud took place? And how was scandal hit Zenrock involved? Uh, yeah, it, it makes sense probably to start by talking about Zenrock's involvement, um, uh, because although this is a claim against China Aviation Oil, Zenrock was one of those oil trading houses in Singapore uh, that have collapsed this year, uh, with allegations from multiple banks that it faked trades, it obtained multiple financing for single trades, and, and so on. Um, it's actually important to keep those allegations separate because in this case, BCP has no exposure to Zenrock. Um, it isn't making any claim against Zenrock uh, and that other part of the transaction where Zenrock uh, was selling the cargo onto another company, that isn't part of this case. Um, what BCP is claiming is that no cargo uh, was ever shipped or delivered by China Aviation Oil to Zenrock. Um, so that first part of the, of the, of the transaction. Um, the bank says China Aviation either presented documents that were false, so when it supplied the, the sales invoice and the letter of indemnity, or that it mistakenly presented documents that were produced as a result of fraud elsewhere in the transaction. And John, what has China Aviation Oil's response been? Yeah, China Aviation Oil has rejected these claims uh, in no uncertain terms. So separate from any court proceedings, it issued a statement saying the cargo which was shipped um, on January 27th, uh, and it gives details of the vessel that carried the cargo and, and so on. Um, it also says the payment it received was actually from the confirming bank for the letter of credit, not BCP, uh, which was the, the issuing bank, um, uh, which is a little strange. And then in terms of the case itself, China Aviation says it has been advised there are good grounds to defend BCP's claims, uh, and it says the allegations are entirely misconceived. Um, the company also said uh, a statement of claim from BCP was initially expected by August the 18th, uh, but then the bank requested a last-minute extension to that deadline. Um, so far, as we're recording this, we're not sure whether the statement of claim was filed in the end, um, and if anyone has any information on that, please feel free to get in touch. So, John, looking at the legal arguments, what constitutes fraud? Do banks stand to recoup losses from fraudulent trade transactions? Yeah, there are some really interesting legal questions here. Um, and I'd, I'd recommend checking out a paper that Blackstone and Gold, a Singapore law firm, um, published on this subject. Uh, not on this specific case, but these kinds of claims. So, essentially, the key thing is... Uh, if documents make some kind of misrepresentation, so they claim cargo was shipped when in fact it was not, for example, um, the key thing is whether the seller can be considered to have been aware of those mis misrepresentations. So even if you have evidence of something fishy, um, a duplicate bill of lading, for example, um, the party bringing the claim, so in this case the bank, would have to provide evidence that the seller was aware those documents were produced as a result of fraud. 
Um, that applies even if there has been double financing somewhere else along the chain. Um, it's not enough just to allege fraud. The evidence of knowledge has to be there. Um, and the idea behind that, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing that, that legal paper here, not quoting it, but um, essentially the benefit of the doubt has to go to the seller, not to the bank, um, basically to make sure the wheels of international trade can keep turning um, until there is hard evidence of fraudulent activity. Thanks for listening to this episode of the GTR News Brief. We'll have more stories from the world of trade and trade finance soon. The music used for this episode was provided by Kevin McLeod with his track Loopster, as well as South London Hi-Fi with their track Sunrise Drive. Thanks for listening.